0: Adam Ferrara is an American actor and comedian known for playing the roles of Chief Needles Nelson on Rescue Me, Sergeant Frank Virelli opposite Edie Falco on Nurse Jackie. He was a co-host on the U.S. version of Top Gear. Adam, podcast is a big hit and available everywhere.
1: Sounds like it could be funny.
0: Sounds to me like 30 minutes you'll never get back.
1: Well, now that you're here, we can have a show. And I'm so glad you are here because it's a great show for you this week. My guest in the ADD interview is my favorite author, and you know his work. He has written The Legend of Bag of Ants. He wrote the book Gates of Fire. He wrote my favorite book, The War of Art. And his new memoir is called Government Cheese. His name is Stephen Pressfield. And we want to welcome everyone from our Talk To Me Tuesday family. That's our conversation we have every week, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Go to my website, click the link, join our conversation. We talk about anything and everything, and we would love to have you there. And our superfan shout-out is for Laura. Say hi to Laura, everybody.
2: Hey, Laura. Laura, how you
1: doing? I want to thank Laura for coming out to Bananas, and I thank all the podcast fans for coming out to Bananas. It was a great show. Uh, we had a sellout show Saturday night, and I really, I really had a good time. So thank you guys so much. And I would like to begin today's proceedings by making a statement and asking you guys your opinion of that statement. Okay. 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 I believe that I am very good in a crisis. What say you, Stern? I say absolutely.
3: Yeah, you're you're like on the speed dial, one or two on that speed dial. If I got a crisis, I need some input here. I got to call the conciliary. You know, Adam Ferrari, you're going to guide me through. That that's I'd say that's pretty pretty standard right there. Okay. Right. I have
2: to agree except for you got to be prepared to get it from a crime boss because you go a little crime bossy well, that's automatic. what i like
1: that that's what i that's why i buy the ticket i want that part of the ride well that <laughs> that, that was my father my father my father's like all right hold the first of all just calm yourself all right <laughs> take it easy sit down you want a something you want a something get him a symbol have something calm take the edge off
2: it does calm you down when you're like that what does For some reason yeah when you go crime boss I get calm.
1: Yeah, yeah, because there's a
3: strong personality there with its, with it, with their hand on the tiller that you're like, okay, I got somebody that knows where we're going. This is great.
1: Well, you yeah. want to know what's what's you get calm, on. I'm very pleased to hear that because I get uh, empowered. I don't know why when I get like that. I guess maybe because I'm occupying the energy I saw my father occupy. You know, it's just right. that that, that here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> it's like I have permission to access that power if I'm if I'm my my dad, but if I'm me. I can't.
2: I was going to say, there's a caveat to you handling crisis. You handle them well, unless they're your own. What do you mean? Adam, when it's your crisis, there's a lot of yelling, and you definitely want to kill things. (laughs)
1: All right. Okay. Tough but fair.
2: So Uh, I just uh, kind of have to let you blow it off, blow Uh, off the steam.
1: All right. That's fair enough. um,
2: You get a little hyper.
1: You know what? I wish you were wrong. I really do wish you were wrong. What do but they say not, about
2: taking your own advice?
1: Yeah, I, I know I'm full of shit. I got I fooled you guys.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right. Do what I say. Don't look behind a curtain. Yeah. Like, don't, don't see what's going on back here. Yeah, a mess. If it's Which, working for you guys,
2: take yes for an answer and move on. Well, I think part of it is emotion. Once you yeah. give anything emotion, you get kind of foggy on yeah. really what to do.
1: It's the difference between Sonny Corleone and Michael Corleone. What's that? their knows.
2: Come
3: on. Well, Sonny was a hothead. Everybody knows that. But Michael, he knew the angles. Just don't be Fredo. Okay, that's the only Corleone you don't want to be as
1: Fredo. Yeah, well, because Sonny Corleone acts on his emotion. That's what got him killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He acted on his emotion and they shot him on the causeway. <laughs> that was that the I told you those were the two teaching tools in my in my childhood was the Bible and the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, get you teaches you not to rat on anybody. I mean, that's well, a good life lesson right there. This this was my mother would say, you do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And my father would be <laughs> like, Yeah, listen to your mother. And you keep your friends close and your enemies
2: <laughs> closer. <laughs>
1: Now what did you hear? Well, you be a good person and don't let them see it coming. Perfect. Perfect.
2: <laughs> That's why there was an Old Testament and a New Testament, Adam.
1: <laughs> is that what it is?
2: Yeah, they kind of clean the New Testament kind of cleaned up the Old Testament.
1: I, all I know is I got to the end and the book doesn't end well.
2: It's rain
1: and frogs. <laughs> Hallelujah, it's rain and frogs. But here's the reason I bring it up and, and 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 I have to I have to admit that my wife is correct. So I'm, I'm on the road, right? I'm in I'm in Florida, and Mr. Herman came to clean the apartment. Okay, he's a good dude. He comes over, he cleans the apartment, and on his iPad he plays Star Trek: The Next Generation. I don't know why, makes him happy. He's here all day. Sure, okay. So I got a Trekkie here cleaning my apartment. And he's he's a, he's a really good dude. But I'm in Florida, right? So he calls me up. He's like, Adam, your sink is really leaking bad. I turned it off. Uh, you got to call the building. I'm like, oh shit! So right away. I got to call the building and then I'm I'm like, I'm going to fix the sink. I'm in Florida, which means I got to call my cousin. He's going to give me a frigging story. Like what the hell happened? I got to deal with him. (laughs) Then he's got to be like, I got to come into the city. I don't have any insurance to do it in the city. What do you want me to do? I told you don't buy that apartment. And then the whole thing's (laughs) going to come out. So I'm already six moves ahead and none of them are good. It's going to cost me a shitload of money and my apartment's flooded.
2: So you call this a a crisis? Well, it's not a crisis. It was the way I reacted to it.
3: Yeah, you game it out. You play out like the, okay, this is what's going to happen if I do this. You go like three or four steps out with each scenario. Mm -hmm. And it it really makes it unappealing to go down that path at all. Particularly the phone call where, you know, you're going to have to deal with
1: some bullshit from your cousin. Yeah. Then in my head, I'm thinking, how drunk is he going to be? You know, (laughs) I can get away with like, you know, maybe a five or a soft six, but if he's at eight, I'm dead. (laughs) So that's the, the, the subconscious thought pattern when faced with a crisis uh, and I, I'm noticing that more and more in my behavior. You know what it turned out to be? The sink was clogged, and when he filled it up, it went through the overflow, and the overflow was leaking. So I called uh, Kofi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kofi's our superintendent. By the way, only nice to me because he likes Alex. Only reason <laughs> he's nice to me. He's not the only one. Yeah, I know. Believe me, when I get worried with the provider's anxiety, when I get worried about how am I going to feed my family, I look at her sleep and I go, look at this beautiful, God's not going to let her starve. I'll just hang on. I'll just, I'm like a pilot fish on a shark. I'll take the crumbs.
3: (laughs) Whatever it takes. Yeah.
1: So yeah, it turns out Kofi came up and goes, it's just the overflow, just, you know, it's fine. We'll unclog the drain. It's fine. So I got away with it. And uh, I had the guy up over here, unclogged the drain. Mr. Herman finished cleaning everything.
2: So that's all it was. Crisis averted.
1: Crisis averted. But, <laughs> uh, but reading Stephen's book helped me notice that in his book, when he was driving uh, trucks, he was driving tractor trailers uh, when he first started his writing career. And there was a crisis. And he uh, courageously not only noticed his behavior, but, uh, but put it in the book and shared it with others. And it was like one of the things I, I loved about the book. He's
3: a great writer. There was one book that you didn't list in there that I mm. am reading right now called yeah. Tides of War. It's a thriller. It's about the Peloponnesian War kids. I hold know it, everyone. It. Wants-
1: Don't tell me how it ends.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, no, listen, if you put all your money on Socrates, you might want to rethink that bet. Okay? okay. But it's it's so amazing. And he and he he writes about a lot of the stuff that really that I love, uh-huh. and he's so good at it. It's 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 such a treat for me to get to hear you guys chat and, and have that inside angle on him. Cause he's, he's such a brilliant writer. It really, it it's really cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, look at my wife. Mm, all right.
3: <laughs> Peloponnesian.
2: What? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I had a lot of fun. I hope you do too. You guys listen to this and we will see you on the other side.
2: Choking under pressure boils
0: down to focus. The brain can only process so much information at once. When relevant and irrelevant thoughts compete for the same attention, something has to give. Performance suffers when the mind is preoccupied with worries, doubts, or fears.
1: I'm thinking, how drunk he gonna be? You know, <laughs> I can get away with like maybe a five or a soft six, but if he's at eight, I'm dead.
0: <laughs> You're listening to the Adam Ferrara podcast. This is 30 minutes you'll never get back.
1: I have got some stand-up dates for you guys. Tomorrow night, March 17th, happy St. Patrick's Day. March 18th and 19th, I will be at the Dana Beach Improv in Dana Beach, Florida. Special show, April 1st, I will be at the Marconi Auto Museum in Tustin, California. April 14th and 15th, I'll be back in San Francisco at Cobb's Comedy Club. And April 21st and 22nd, I will be down at Escondido, California at the Grand Comedy Club. Come see me and I will make you And as always, please come up after the show and let me thank you for all the love and support you've shown me and this podcast. All right, go on, get out of here. Pay
4: attention when I'm talking to you, boy.
1: ADHD, it's not just for kids. Nice boy, but doesn't listen to a
4: word you say.
1: Welcome to the ADD interview. It's not that you're not interesting, it's just that I can't focus. And my guest this week is... Oh, look, a bird! My guest this week is an acclaimed author and screenwriter. His work has provided vital insight into the creative process and has helped to shape the modern-day storytelling landscape. His most famous works include The Legend of Bagger Vance, Gates of Fire, and The War of Art. His new book, Government Cheese, is a memoir where he tells the parts he usually leaves out. His books have been a guiding force for me through the wilderness of uncertainty and self-doubt that I have to traverse. His power breakfast is liver and eggs, and we both talk to ourselves when we drive. (laughs) I am so grateful he's made some time for us today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please help me welcome back to the program, my pal, Mr. Steven Pressfield. How are you, my friend?
4: I'm great, Adam. It's great to be back with you again. Uh, We've just been talking before the bell rang.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. And thank you for sending me the book. The book is called Government Cheese. It's a memoir. And as any fans of you know, that there's little pieces of you in your life in every in every book. The uh, the uh, from the War of Art and all the cousins of that book, there's always little pieces about your cat, Mo and little stories. And this is a place where you've put them all together and uh, you've done something that I think is I, I really liked is every section of your life was devoted to a mentor you had during that time.
4: Yeah, that sort of uh it wasn't even a plan, Adam. You know, when I was not writing a sure. book, it just sort of came out. I just sort of realized as I was what I was trying to do was tell the parts of the story that you don't tell in the mm. War of Art or any other books like that. And I just realized how I my sort of journey through the wilderness mm-hmm. was I was sort of handed from mentor to mentor, and a lot of them were not even writing mentors at all, you know, like a a boss. At a trucking company where I worked or a guy when I was picking fruit that is just to this day, I don't know his last name, Mm -hmm. but uh, became a real mentor to me. So I do think that's kind of how we grow. I mean, is that the way it is in comedy? Do you have mentors that you learn from?
1: Yeah, it's any it's it's I think it's in any business or or any kind of setting, Stephen. I mean, the elders of the tribe teach the young guys, you know, and whether it's a personal relationship or one that you you've never met the person. There's there's influence and things you gravitate to. You know, it's even like showbiz, you know, it's screenwriting. You need a rabbi. You need someone. Yeah, 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 you have
4: to have it. Yeah, I know. I mean, seriously, in the military, I know that that's if you're like a young officer. Mm -hmm. Marine Corps or something like that, you deliberately look for mentors, you know, somebody that's three or four ranks ahead of you that's going to put you on their staff and bring you with them and as they rise you rise with them so yeah. anyway mentors are a very big thing
1: yeah e- even like in in football you got they take their offensive coordinates with them and then yeah you know, yeah yeah everyone has has their group of people prison too but it's a different kind of
4: <laughs> It's a different story
1: yeah <laughs> but in these in these sections of your life the lessons that you took with you from these mentors seem to unravel into the next phase there's when I was reading when you were you were driving a big rigs and we were trading emails because i yeah yeah I, you did that logging truck thing yeah a logging truck but when i when i when I was reading the part where you got a rev match you don't use the clutch i'm like i did that only twice but it was great <laughs> when it happened <laughs> but the analogies you draw from that into your into the different phases of your life i found uh i, I found very rewarding because it's strung the life together if that makes any sense
4: yeah absolutely i mean i mean That was a boss. My boss there, the dispatcher, at this trucking company was a guy Mm -hmm. who gave me, you know, uh, he never even knew he was a mentor to me, but he really, you know, taught me what it was to be a professional that you just can't fuck up, you know? Yeah. No matter what your personal turmoil. I mean, you you know, this getting up on stage, right? Yeah. yeah. You got to leave that aside and do your do your bit, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, even, even when, when, when the, the it was one thing that I, I read in the book that I identified with is when uh you, you pulled away when the truck and, and the trailer came down and it was the middle uh, of yeah. the night and it was raining and you're trying to fix this and your lights went out and you uh, there was a great deal of uh, shame that you addressed your personal shame during that section of your life. And one of the things you said was, in an emergency, I make myself helpless and that makes it worse. It's yeah, compounded. that was a real
4: that was a terrible moment in of my real life where I realized that that was sort of a, a neurotic. Yeah. What is it? A mindset that you learn from when you are a kid, you know, that, yeah. uh, that I had never sort of really learned to rise to the occasion when shit, the shit hit the fan, yeah, you know, that I would sort of make myself helpless, like hoping that my mother or my father or somebody would come to the rescue, which mm. I still fight to this day, you know, but, um, those moments, those real life moments when you have to rise to the occasion, they they sink in. You know, it's not like talking about bullshit. It's something that really, you know, really happens in the real world and sticks with you.
1: Yeah. And and, and it's that that takes a lot of courage, not only to to identify it in yourself, admit it to yourself, but then to write it down. Uh, you know, <laughs> put it out there. One of the things I wanted to ask you with the mentor, there, there's a it's not a trap, but there's a condition. The reverence for the mentor, where you, you don't achieve to stay in that relationship you have with the mentor, that's a trap because it keeps you it keeps you keeps stunted and it keeps reinforcing that mind pattern that you said that you, you yeah. noticed. Have you? In fact, I'm reading a book now. You know who Robert Green is? Uh, Robert Green, No, I'm not familiar with Robert uh-huh.
4: Greene. You should follow him on Instagram or something. Mm-hmm. He wrote um, The 48 Laws of Power. Does that ring? Oh, yeah, yeah, over? yeah.
1: And then, then and- The 48 Laws of Human Nature too, right? Yeah,
4: yeah. Yeah. yeah, an amazing guy. I just got to meet him, actually, a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. But he wrote a book that I'm reading now called Mastery, mm-hmm. which I highly recommend. And it's sort of about how you go from knowing nothing yeah. you know, in your life to becoming competent at something. You know, And I'm sure this applies to show business, comedy, and all that sort of stuff. But one mm-hmm. of the big parts he talks about is mentors. Right. And how, but, but how it's necessary at some point, to leave the mentor behind, you know? Yeah. And and a great mentor prepares you for that and doesn't try to hold you back or keep you as the junior partner all the time. Mm-hmm. But at some point he talks about how you have to sort of really branch out on your own. Take what you've learned from the mentor and take it to your own you know, in your own language and put it out there. So you're absolutely right. You can get hung up in a mentor relationship and, you know, be stuck in a stasis forever.
1: Yeah. It's also looking for, and what I found uh, is the external problem, the external solutions to the internal problems. What your book, The War of Art, did for me was, I don't know if it gave me permission, but pointed me that the battle's inside. And I think I was ready to hear it you know when you labeled uh, resistance uh, as the obstacle to the creative process uh, i stopped blaming myself for not achieving and realizing oh fuck this is a this is just the uh-huh. human condition and you've illuminated that for me so you put the fight inside and it's it's been a living fucking hell ever since press World. Uh, thanks a lot <laughs> let me ask you adam in it's specific terms like what how did that apply
4: to you in your career and your evolution was there a moment uh, that yeah
1: yeah, ah, there was, what, a, what I, was could it? Tell you, I could tell you the moment. I was fortunate to get a, a really early start because I was given this gift where I could just improv, I could just do it. Uh-huh. And when you do things naturally, you're the worst teacher because you don't know how you're doing it. You just tell someone, well, just do it, you know, but uh-huh. I worked a lot because I could, I could do the time, even though I didn't have the written material. So I didn't know I wasn't producing when I read your book. And I wasn't growing. I didn't feel I was growing. It's because I wasn't putting in the fucking work. I wasn't sitting at the table every morning. I wasn't getting up before the sun, doing what I had to do and sit from 7 to 12. You know, I wasn't putting like my writing, ass on my heart. A, writing a comedy bit? Is that yeah. what you mean? Uh-huh. Just putting the time in. I, I always I, I always uh, likened it to uh, 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 spending time in the garden. You know, if you, the flowers ain't going to grow if you ain't watering them in uh-huh. there. Even if you're not sitting there writing over and over again, you're you're processing it. One of the things I took from the book was after you get done writing, you go for a walk and you bring the tape recorder because your higher mind is still working on stuff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there's so many different aspects now of being an artist. You just can't create the art. You got to do the commerce part of it too. Yeah, yeah You got to yeah. be the marketer. That's not what I do, but that's something I have to do to care for the babies. Like I had the baby, now I got to take care of it. Yeah.
4: You want to talk about that for a minute? Because this is interesting to me. I can ask sure, you some, some questions like what, what do you, I mean, and then you can ask me about this. Too. Okay. We wanted to talk about this, but what do you have to do to take care of the baby, the marketing aspect of it or the self-promotion? What, what, what does it involve? Well, you have to,
1: I mean, what I learned from my wife is first of all, lighting. <laughs> you have to do a good, uh-huh. you know, you have to look good. You have to look the, the presentation of your art just can't be a, a cell phone on your face. You know, you got to make you got to make you got to make it look you got to elevate it. You also have to do it. It's, the part of me was not like I don't want to do this because it's not the way I've I didn't learn it in a natural state when when you were at the age where things just come to you, you know. So it's yeah. like learning a different language now. So yeah. it's, it's first is the the denial of, I don't need that ad but and now it's like, I got to learn this. So you're learning uh-huh. a new language. So and what
4: specifically is it for you? What specific uh, platforms or venues are you on or putting yourself on?
1: Yeah. Instagram. I got to do all the, I got to make, I, I invented this little guy named Carl and he gets into all kinds of automotive hijinks. Which I love it. Those are great. I love those things. Thank you. So yeah. I had to come up with that device. Then I have to do this, I do this live thing on Tuesdays called talk to me Tuesdays where I just on, I'm on the air with my friends and people in this little family we have every Tuesday, and you have to be available, and you have to have a message, and you have to craft your message where you get them in the first three seconds. You have to um, the, the things you do, I love whether the, uh, where you have your keyboard just typing and the, and the, the title of this uh-huh. little Instagram passages on there. It's like, I, I look forward to taking those times to visit with my friends every morning. So I have to put myself in the space where someone's stopping on my channel as they go through their day. Uh huh. So yeah, that's yeah.
4: kind of, that's what I do too.
1: Yeah. Was yeah. it, was it something you had to learn? Did somebody teach you? Cause my wife was the one that, that dragged me kicking and screaming
4: it's actually my girlfriend, Diana. So it's the same thing, you know, without her, she's the one with, you know, she has like two iPhone cameras, you know, that she'll put up on a, on tripods and then we'll do a little two minute or something or other, you know, Instagram post. Yeah. And, but uh, yeah, I definitely had to learn it. I would, had no clue about that at all. Yeah. And uh, getting going on podcasts for me. Yeah. Yeah. Is the one way, you know, like this is your podcast here, Mm -hmm. you know, And it's it's a way of getting a word out about, uh, and that involves, you know, um, establishing relationships Mm -hmm. with with people who have podcasts and are compatible with you and you're compatible with them. Yeah. And then going out and and doing it, um, which definitely was, it's out of my comfort zone. I definitely am from the school. I wish I could just write and not, you know, and hand it over to a publisher and let them do it. But even... With a big five publisher these days, they don't really do anything for you. You basically have to, you know, unless you're Jack Carr or somebody like that, that's, you know, a big,
1: big seller, you basically have to do it all yourself. Yeah, we're all startup companies. We're all startup companies. That We're all just our own business. We have to handle every aspect of the business. And it's when you said it's outside of your comfort zone. But that's one of the things that, you know, pressure yields diamonds, you know? Yeah, yeah that's one of those things where you have to put yourself in that i'll say artistic danger you know Uh like the big one of the big moments that i relived in the book uh government cheese i'm reading right now you had a successful screenwriting career you were yeah, two movies you wrote on your own. I would call it successful, but it was it was a career. How about this? You were making money, baby. How about yeah, that? Yeah,
4: right. I, I was paying the rent. You know, you, that's you had, you had
1: options available to you, and at that yeah. time, you were seized by an idea, which later became the Legend of Bagger Vance, and you it was a calling for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you said I have to write this book. Yeah, that was uh, one of these
4: sort of you know. Moments that, when you look back on, you can't really explain. Mm-hmm. It's like I had I had a career for about ten years as a screenwriter, you know, kind of a B level screenwriter, and also as the junior partner in a in a, in a writing team, mm-hmm. and had finally sort of got to the point where I was making money and and people were interested in my stuff, and uh, I had a good agent, mm-hmm. and uh, suddenly I had this idea to write a book. Which was the book of the Legend of Bagger of and it just sort of seized me. Mm. I'm sure you have something like this too, Adam, in your story that yeah. where I couldn't not do it. I just had to do it, and I had this sort of meeting with my agent where basically he fired me. Yeah, um, because he, and he was right to do that because he said. I put in the last five years, busting my ass for you, getting your name out there mm-hmm. as a screenwriter. Now you're going to take a year, a year and a half to write a book. Yeah. And when you're away from the movie business for a year or a year and a half, it's like you died, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, all that work goes down the tube. So he said, basically, in a nice way, you know, I'm not going to help you. Right. Um, so, um, but I didn't care because I was just, now. You know, why? You become seized by an idea. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm a believer, as you know, in the muse, the goddess, that she gives you an assignment, Mm -hmm. and you just got to do it. You know. But then it happened for me with the second book as well, which was Gates of Fire about the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae, and again I was seized by this idea, and I thought, this is completely uncommercial. It's going to take me two and a half years to write a story about a place that nobody's ever heard of. They can't Mm -hmm. pronounce, can't spell. No Americans are involved in it. So nobody gives a shit. Right. Uh, But again, I just had no choice. I was just seized by it. So, and in a way, not even in a way, it was, those were the two best things that ever happened to me to just sort of leap out of the airplane without a parachute. Um, Yeah.
1: You know, knock wood it worked. Yeah. It worked twice, Steve. It worked twice. that, that kind of inspiration to be in spirit, because that's what it is. That's, that's something bigger than you, using you as a vessel, you know? Yes, absolutely. And one of the things you wrote in, in Government Cheese, by the way, I'm, I'm in Florida right now. I was listening to the audio of it, driving through Alligator Alley at night. Chapter 47, Art is Artifice. I broke down. Just broke down. Ah. I was like, <laughs> "God, did that hit me so hard?" About oh. an artist having to get the pain, get the pain out. And well, that must be true for comics. Am I? It, I mean, isn't? Is... Yeah. Here's when I know that I'm asking too much of my art, Stephen. Is uh-huh. if I'm on if I'm on stage and I'm angry, frustration's funny. Angry's not. Uh-huh. And when I'm angry, my wife goes, "You were angry." I said, "Yeah." I know uh-huh. it's not art yet.
4: Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Why, what, what is, how do you define frustration? How do you
1: define anger in a case like that? Frustration for me is, is funny. I, when they're laughing, I'm frustrated. It's funny because you're, you're trying to make sense of a situation. Uh, anger, you're yelling at a situation. You're, uh, does that make uh-huh. sense? Ah, uh, that's good. It's, yeah. Uh-huh. That's the only best way I can define it. And that, that's uh-huh. when I know I'm asking way too much of the medium to meet me, to tell me what it wants to be rather than doing my work. Cause you gotta be funny first, you know, it's gotta Uh be funny first. You can make your points, but you gotta be funny first. And, uh, this is, this is the art form that chose me to do it. So that's when I know that um, it's too much too fresh. And one of the things you said in, in that chapter was we can't face the pain. We turn it into art to help other people put their pain in that space as well. And I thought that was just beautiful.
4: I think it's really true though, you know, and and certainly it's true in comedy Mm. where you turn it into laughter. You know, you talk about something, whatever it is in your own life or something that maybe is fictional, but you can relate to and everybody in the audience can relate to that thing that you're doing it, that you're talking about, if you're doing it right. It's like in the audience, we're thinking, Oh man, I've been in a fuck situation too. Yeah. And, and the more spot on your observations are you the comic Mm-hmm. You know, the funnier it is, yeah. So it is, and it is a gift to the audience because if I'm in the audience and I'm laughing about some horrible divorce or breakup or God knows what has happened to me that you're talking about, mm. I I get some perspective on. It. I come away and I say, you know, I'm not the only guy that's going through that. You know, we've all gone yeah. through it, and it's kind of a human part of the human comedy or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and it, it takes some of the pain away. So. what really what art is i mean a great song yeah that's about you know heartbreak or something like that we may be driving along through alligator alley in tears but it helps us you know when when it's all done when it's all said and done we feel a little better
1: i think if someone can articulate a feeling you can't it forms a connection and that that ends the the exile and the isolation of the human condition yeah Well, you know,
4: to go back to what you just said, Adam, about anger is not good, but frustration is. Mm -hmm. I think in writing, if you're writing about your own pain Mm -hmm. in the the way that you would call anger, that's really bad. That completely alienates the the reader. It's not art. It's just a rant. It's just uh, like it should be done in a therapist's office. It's not ready for prime time. Mm -hmm. Somehow you, the writer... the the comic have to process that into that ore into gold yeah before you can show it to somebody or at least into silver or copper you know and that's
1: sort of that's the agony and that's the skill i think yeah elvis costello said you just can't put your diary to music Mm. did he say that because he's absolutely right that's it yeah it yeah. deserves to stay in a diary locked in a drawer where nobody else sees it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you, because in the book you said when you shifted to uh screenwriting, you said, I found the truth when I began making stuff up. I think that was the quote. Yeah. Um, which is really true. Yeah. I and
4: mean, I sort of in my early attempts as to being a writer where I wrote like three novels that never went, never got published or anything Uh and i sort of had this ethic this kind of hemingway-esque ethic boneheaded ethic that said something like you can only write about yourself Uh and the only thing you're allowed to write is something that absolutely happened yeah and you could certainly never make anything up that made the character that was you look any better than you really were Mm -hmm. and at some point when i was uh just ready to hang myself because it wasn't working. I just said, fuck this. I'm just going to make up I'm never writing about myself ever again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make everything up. And for some reason, that was a great liberating moment for me. I don't think that works necessarily in comedy. Right. Probably have to stick close to your real, you know, inner turmoil, but whatever it was to just make shit up. Yeah. Was a great liberating thing for me. I told in the book, I'd say, that the first screenplay that I wrote like that was a prison story. Uh-huh. And I've never been to prison. I don't know a fucking thing about it. You know? <laughs> when I was had gave, gave it to friends, they would come up to me and say, Steve, where did you do time? <laughs> and, and that was a real revelation to me that when I wrote the actual truth, uh-huh. people would read it and say, ah, it sounds like bullshit to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I made it up completely, pulled it out of my ass uh-huh. 100%, people would read
1: it and go, wow, this is so true. It's kind of the same thing in stand-up. They take your real life, you put it in a blender and you know you make it funny and you add the beats that, that yeah, tell yeah. the story, but you know you embellish it because it's entertainment. Uh, do you feel that because you're, you're putting imaginary circumstances, you could be truthful in those circumstances when you write because you're not emotionally connected to them?
4: I think that's true. Yeah. But Even beyond that, Let's say you and I are writing a a book together and we do something like Lord of the Rings or um, Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. In other words, a complete fantasy. We make up a world. There are dragons or whatever. It completely frees you. And and now you become in touch with the muse, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have characters like Daenerys Targaryen that there's nobody in your life like that. You know, there's nobody in your life like Jon Snow or any Mm -hmm. of those people. And so you're completely free to enter a kind of a free, a free association type of world, right. Where you just kind of make up this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and it's amazing what comes out of you. Yeah. It's, and it's not like you are consciously using your real life, you know, and putting it in there in any way or any wisdom. Mm-hmm. In fact, you're going better than that. And when you look at the page that you've written, it's it seems wiser than you are. It's like you say to yourself, "Where did that shit come from? Yeah, how did I know that?" Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that. But what turns out to be happening on the page is better than you could have ever imagined. Um, where it's coming from, I don't know. Yeah. But certainly,
1: pure fiction is a great, great thing. Yeah, I, I think it, it takes. It, it takes the see, when, when I write something, Steve, and I do it on stage, and I get I get the experiential laugh where I see somebody yeah. shaking his head or a, a, a wife will push the husband. You do that. Uh-huh. That's the best connection and the best laugh. That that's the moment what makes it worth it for me because it 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 the bit grew to something bigger than the synergism of me and and whatever energy puts that together. Yeah, huh? yeah, and that's the gift you just gave that couple a
4: gift. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know their marriage is going to hang together for an extra <laughs> week
1: thanks to that joke. You know, yeah, yeah. And you've done that. Are you aware of the the mental role you've played in so many people's lives because of the books you've put out? I mean, I sort of am vaguely, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, I I kind of resist.
4: Right. I don't know why I resist that. I do, but um, I, I'm.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really sink into me, but I am I am aware of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, because I mean, people that because I've given your book out, I have cop different copies of it. You know, I've well, comics that come to me, and I can't write. And, so and you're but, the guy. Uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. I read this, read, the guy, uh, Mark Stern, who's on my show right now. We were, he was, he wrote his first book. He had to write a second book and we were in DC. We're having a cup of coffee. He goes, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I all right, get up. We just walked. I went to this, I bought the book. I handed it to him. He goes, what's this? I go, read this. You'll be fine. How did that come to you? That the war of art, was that something uh, you needed to, you needed to say to yourself or was that something that needed to come through you? Sort of. It was like that.
4: It's like, uh, I say that when you're a professional writer, a working writer, mm-hmm. your friends come to you and they say, I've got a book in me. Can you can you help me? So what I used to do is I would sit up till like 2 in the morning with friends of mine mm. and basically try to psych them up and try to get them over their own resistance, right? Right. Their own procrastination, their own fear that it's not going to, you know, and so I just stay up with them trying to psych them up and tell them, And I tell them, there is this negative force out there that I call resistance with a capital Mm -hmm. R, and you're gonna have to overcome it before you can do anything else, you know? And of course, nobody ever listened to me. Nobody Mm. ever wrote the book. Nobody ever did a fucking thing, you know? (laughs) So finally, (laughs) one day I just sort of said to myself, let me just write this stuff down. Let me put it down in like, you know, 100 pages. And when anybody asks me that that they've got a book in them, I'll just say, here, read this. So that was, that was how that came about. I just sort of banged it out in about two months. Yeah. And it was just ready to go because I said it so many times out yeah. loud. Yeah. So that's hey, how yeah. the book came about.
1: I think there's another – patience is the other thing that I, I don't have, Stephen. I go from zero uh-huh. to homicide in three seconds. Uh-huh. Um, but there's a timing of things when things come to you. There's a timing of yeah. – when that I'm I'm really starting to respect now. Have you found that in your work as well? Yes, I mean it's very definitely
4: like bullets in a in a magazine in a gun, you know, mm-hmm. or, or bullets in a chamber. You know, when they're ready to fire, they're in there, you know, yeah. and yeah. you got to pull the trigger. And when you do pull the trigger, when they're in, when the, the round is in there, it fires. It yeah. works, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The um, the resistance that you have uh, and the resistance that that manifest to go back to um, uh, what you noticed about your emotional patterns in, in times of emergency, it, when you sit down and face the artistic danger as well, do you have certain things that you've noticed like, oh, shit, there's that feeling again? Um, definitely. I mean, I, yeah. I really feel like
4: and I bet you feel the same way, Adam, like mm. you should be scared every morning. You should be scared every time you sit down. Yeah. If you're not, you yeah. I need mean, to work. I mean, to put something on paper. Yeah, And if you're not, something's wrong. Yeah, And the more scared you are, the better. The better it is. Because that's resistance. The reason mm. you're scared is because there's big resistance. And resistance, I have found, is equal and opposite to whatever the the gift, whatever the good stuff is. Mm-hmm. So the more resistance you feel... The better the work will be once you get it out. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel that same,
1: you know, artistic fear, whatever you want to call it, every morning. Yeah. I, and a lot of, a lot of things you have, uh, have put down to paper, um, actually helped me in my, my, my life as well. Just, you know, not, not just, just my work. And I have a quote that I love from, I, it's from Turning Pro. Uh, and I'm going to mispronounce, uh, the poet who said it. But it's a uh, uh, be brave, my heart, plant your feet and square your shoulders to the enemy. Meet him among the man killing spears. Hold your ground. Fuck. Yeah, that's, that's good.
4: A, that's a great one. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, I didn't write that. That's the the real guy. Archilochus. Yeah. Archilochus. Archilochus yeah. Archilochus was a, a, a real mercenary poet mm-hmm. of about 700 B.C., which is way, 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 way back. Mm. But uh and that, that is a, that is a great, um, you know, expression of standing your ground yeah. in the face of a lot of shit pouring in on you.
1: Fuck. And it's all in your head. I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. That, 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 here's the thing. Are you, do you think it's, it's worth knowing where this stuff comes from or is it more beneficial just to deal with it as it shows up?
4: I think you do both, right? Yeah. Certainly you have to deal with it when it shows up. Yeah. But, uh, and it's only theorizing of where it comes from. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think you just have to deal with it as it comes up. That's yeah. that's all it, to me, it's 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 about action as opposed to talking yeah. about something, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. sitting in your or own thinking head. Thinking about it.
1: Thinking about it is the worst. Oof, yeah. Whereas action will always, will always I think, work. Yeah, it's like, it's like the guy that goes to the library, reads all the books about swimming, jumps in the pool and he drowns.
4: Yeah, or it's like the cartoon in the New Yorker that it's a guy standing, a befuddled guy standing before two doors. Mm-hmm. One door
1: says heaven, right? The other door says books about heaven. <laughs> can I ask you? Because uh, I'm, I'm. This is where I'm at in the book. Uh, can I ask you to tell the story when uh, Dino De Laurentiis put your name on a script? Ah, well. I don't want to get in any kind of
4: legal trouble here. I understand, but it's you know it's just one of those sort of crazy things that happens in in uh, in the in the movie world, you know, mm-hmm. where somebody I don't even know what the real story behind it was, right? Where somebody wrote a thing and somebody else wanted to use me as kind of a beard on it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, it actually worked to my advantage because it was such a great script. Yeah, that. You know, if my name was on even though i I couldn't take it you know, I'd just say no, it's not me, sure. it's not me, it's not me um but still people were thinking, "Wow, this is really
1: good <laughs> 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 oh it's so good uh the book is great, my friend, it's called government cheese uh it's a memoir, and all your work uh, I highly recommend this when when people do something that reaches you um the way you've reached me, I I am so grateful that, that I have these few moments to share with you. Bit just 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 to thank you, you really thank you, my friend, for all. Well, you...
4: thank thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me, and I love your stuff too. You know, <laughs> when I see Carl driving into the ocean, you know, or backing into somebody else, or everything you do, you know, I I, I love your stuff. You know, so it's great to uh, hang out with you here, even though you're in a hotel room in Florida and <laughs> I'm home in Los Angeles. Well, thank you, so, brother. Yeah, was all great. my best to you, man. You too, brother hi this is Steven Pressfield and that was 30 minutes I will never get back he's such
1: a good dude
2: Adam was that like your private therapy session (laughs) goodness what do you mean about the anger Adam
1: well, he asked, he asked about the, I, th- I thought you would like that. He asked about the anger and the frustration. I, I said, you, you pointed it
2: out. Yeah. No, 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 no. It, it was good. In fact, I want a copy of the interview. So I have it as a reference.
1: It's <laughs> great. Now I'm, I'm, I'm like a lab rat. That's good.
3: <laughs> no, 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 no. He was having a real conversation with you. Like uh-huh. he'd be like, Hey, can we explore this? Like let's go down this road with mm-hmm. this stuff. Like he was, he was having a ball talking to you. Yeah. Now, and if and if he wasn't charging you for the hour, then you know that's it's a win. <laughs> <even.
1: laughs> and I will tell you this: when I when I said the definition, the way I answered it, I went, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." <laughs> It's being disconnected. That's why you're. I, I feel that I get angry is um, if I'm frustrated, I'm connected to the situation and I'm working within the situation and, and playing my part of the whole. If I'm angry and I said, I'm yelling at the situation, I'm disconnected from everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that, that disconnection causes me to be, to, to, uh, to be angry.
2: Yeah. I liked that. He said, you have to go through the anger, kind of will whittle, whittle it down and turn it into gold or at least copper. <laughs>
3: Yeah, 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 you yeah. Whatever get. kind of precious metal you can get out of it, because there is passion and the energy in there. There's something in that anger, and it's just sort of honing it so it's not.
1: It doesn't uh-huh. turn into rage. And by rage, you mean philtag?
3: <laughs>
1: sure. Yeah, yeah, phyllish. Yeah, yeah.
3: But I will say this: I was very pleased that there was reference to ancient Greek poetry in there. Archilochus, <laughs> the poem of bravery, like. Yeah. Stephen and I need to go on a road trip together. You sit you guys sit in the back seat and we're just to talk about Greek poetry. But I love that. And do you want to know why in a nutshell why I love ancient history? Go ahead. Because I love taking <laughs> like you're gonna say it anyway, Stern. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, because you can take things that were written literally like two, three thousand years ago, or examples of history or whatever, and apply them to your own life in current times. And mm-hmm. and bravery is bravery. Sadness is sadness. Like those are universal emotions. And so to draw the inspiration from from Archilochus, I yeah. think it's awesome.
1: Yeah. And that that poem actually that I use that, you know, when I'm when I'm afraid and I discovered that when I get angry underneath that is the fear, too. So it's just like you take a deep breath and it's stand your ground stand. Your yeah. ground. you know, exactly. Yeah. And you got to take action too. That's the other thing is, is, is I get angry and scared when I'm I'm in my own head because it's it's the idea of what could happen. Yeah. And then you're, you're paralyzed by all the different scenarios
3: that you're sort of running through your skull. Mm -hmm. And, and the key to it all is to act, is to act, just be direct and be like, let me, let me take this thing head on and and that removes so much of the fear and so much of the anger and so much of the the problems that surround those situations
2: i have a famous quote go ahead do or do not there is no try oh well done yoda well
3: done <laughs> Star a lot of wisdom in
1: star wars kids yeah
2: Yep.
3: you know what alex you're mm-hmm. right this is the way
1: <laughs> and now we in a mandalorian <laughs> <laughs> you know what that makes sense you guys are finding truth in star wars because steven found truth when he started making things up i thought that was fascinating yeah wasn't that the craziest thing yeah
3: <laughs> it's like you know uh you know I, I i found my voice when i was
1: making stuff up
2: yeah when-, when he said it was liberating i'm like he's absolutely right he let his creativity just go
1: let me ask you is you think he let his creativity go or he got his idea of the way he sees the world and his con- is his perceived self out of the way. That's what I think because that's what happens to me like when I'm writing stuff and I make stuff up I can stumble on the truth when I'm not in the way of it. Sure.
3: Yeah, no, I get that. Um I mean I th- can it be can I can I be on the fence and say it's a little bit of both?
1: Yeah, if you want to be a
3: pussy, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that shoe fits, let me put it on. Um <laughs> but you know, but if you're not bound by the restriction by the restrictions of what you know, yeah, that makes your possibilities limitless for you. And part of that process is removing yourself from it and just sort of letting the creativity flow, I would think.
2: But let's be honest, I mean, he does a lot of research, so yeah. <laughs> that gives you a lot of freedom and confidence to go into um, an unknown world.
3: Mm-hmm. But I just love that expression. You found the truth when you started making stuff up. <laughs> yeah. It's just the coolest, con- that that, re- that was really a great statement from him.
1: Um, what did you think about him talking about mentors? You wanna know something? Steven, he doesn't even know this, but Pressfield was one of my mentors through his work. I didn't wanna say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool, man. I didn't want to flip yeah. Matt. You know, <laughs> Warriors' ethos, the uh, the the podcast he has, and and just just his work, uh, really. Just I it brings me comfort and uh, and gives me direction um, when I'm adrift. And isn't that the most important thing about a
3: mentor? Is when they're not there. You hear their voice in your head when you come to a crossroads, whatever situation is like, it's a big problem, little problem. Mm-hmm. You're like, how would so-and-so handle this? What would they tell me to do mm-hmm. in this situation? I always sort of channel that stuff. I mean, I, I, in my broadcasting career, I mean, trust me, I work with a guy named Tony Kornheiser who is one of the greatest mentors you could ever have. So many of my broadcasting skills and interview skills and just organizational and, and how to be a professional comes from, From Tony you know working with
1: for 20 years. Well I will tell you this about the voice in your head Uh, if I feel guilty I'm hearing my mother's voice. (laughs) Yes yep yeah. And I figured this out the best job my mother could ever have would be the person that brings you the air filter at Jiffy Lube because she can make you feel so guilty I just just picture my mother walking out with a dirty air filter go look at this look at this filthy (laughs) thing you brought in do you think do you you think it's safe to drive around with something that looks like this answer me joe look at this look what he's done joe do you think he shouldn't be driving because he's freaking blind he can't see this (laughs) you should get moms to work at jiffy you'll buy everything i need two filters in case this goes bad while i'm driving
3: Right. just to make it good
1: oh man that's well, great
2: i have to say uh-huh. it's hard for me to pick out a mentor is is that strange i get my mentorship or inspiration through stories uh-huh. good films
3: trust me you hear me quote you know movies all the time i get so I, i'll throw out these lines and people are like that's really wise where'd you come up with that i'm like i heard it in a movie my uh-huh. i'll give you this is an example and i love using this line you stake out the moral high ground and the rest of us get altitude sickness. I love that line. And mm-hmm. I love that, that sort of battle for like, who's going to be morally superior. I always think of that line and that's from a movie. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's wisdom everywhere. It's where you find it. And honestly, Alex, when you are a pure beam of light as you are, you don't really need mentors the way that, that Adam and I, because we're down the line. You'd agree <laughs> with that,
1: right, Adam? Yeah, I just wish, you know, the beam of light was connected to a flow of cash. That would be nice.
2: <laughs> that's it's so different, Adam. What?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's not that different. Mentor, co-signer, it's the same thing. No, <laughs> it's
2: not. <laughs> that's, that's, so I that's... think what you're saying, I'm more the muse.
1: Yes, you are more the muse. I will, I will tell you that. You mm-hmm. are the muse. And, and Stephen does definitely believe in the muse to make his art. And the other thing he said about art, and this actually happened to me in his book, government cheese, chapter 47, driving through alligator alley, the middle of the night in Florida. I'm listening to his voice on the audiobook. He's talking about how to put your pain into art. I broke down. I broke down. I'm a grown man driving, fighting back tears, looking out for alligators. This is what I was doing. That's a yeah. powerful <laughs> moment, man. Yeah, it is. When you, well,
3: when you have that kind of self-realization, when, when, when it clicks in your head and something penetrates through all the crap that we, you know, wrap around ourselves and it it just penetrates through all of that and gets straight to the heart of things. That those are the most powerful moments. Well heart. what
1: it got to what it got to was the frustration I was feeling and the anger that was building up was because I was asking too much. I was asking the heart form to heal me rather than to be to connect to somebody else. I was asking well,
2: Adam, to, to I was healed. gonna add, you put a lot of stress on yourself. What? When you were saying <laughs> When you're saying you have to get up at a certain time and write for a certain amount of time. And mm-hmm. if you don't, that's failure. Yeah. I was thinking to myself, wow, that is so stressful. Well, it's,
1: it, it's all because of you. Cause you're killing me. woman. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I hope you've learned something on this episode.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I do this, the same sort of thing though. It's like, I'll, I'll, but I do it like I've got these things to do today. And it mm-hmm. could be even, you know, I got to clean the cat box or I got to go buy a case of water, whatever. And if I don't check everything off that list, when I go to bed at night, I'll be like, well, this was a crappy day. You didn't mm-hmm. do what you're supposed to. And then you sort of beat yourself up for it. So mm-hmm. I, it, uh, if that makes sense, I get the idea mm-hmm. of like I have to hold myself accountable to these
1: things I need to do. But, yeah, but but I beat myself up before I do them because I'm like I'm holding myself like, I gotta get it done. I gotta get it done. So like I'm, I'm all I'm all anxious before I even do it, and I'm already predict- predicting it's not gonna get done. I'm predicting ah shit, this sink. You know what this means? All this childhood trauma is gonna come back now because I gotta reach out to my family. Yeah,
2: that's right, Adam. Thank God
1: the sink crisis was averted. Oh my
2: goodness. <laughs> and all is right
1: with the world. I want to thank uh, <laughs> nothing
2: to do with bad plumbing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, this building's old.
2: <laughs>
1: I want to thank my favorite author, Stephen Pressfield, for being on the show. It was a real treat for me to get to talk to him. And his new book, Government Cheese, is available everywhere, and I highly recommend it. Honey, if they want to get a hold of us, where do they go?
2: The Adam Ferrara at Gmail.
1: Uh, thank you guys so much for telling people about the show. The show's growing, and we still need your help. So tell 748 people about the show. That'll help us out. And if you leave us a review, that helps us with our friend,
2: Mr. Algorithm.
1: We are all in this together, brothers and sisters, so please share the road. And remember that life is hard, so you take it easy on yourself. Part is ended. Go in peace. My mother would say, you do unto others as you would have them do unto you. My father would be like, yeah, listen to your mother. And you keep your friends close and your enemies (laughs) closer. Now, what did you hear? Well, you be a good person and don't let them see it coming. Perfect. Perfect.
0: (laughs) Adam will go to heaven through the kitchen like in Goodfellas. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home,